I'm Alex Del Soro. I'm Alex Del Soro. I'm Alex Del Soro, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vinson. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Soro, Rowers Choice, and this is episode four, season four, and I am talking to some heavy hitters, guys, men and women that are coaching at the IRA level. Uh, and, and you know, the name, you know, you, you already know who I'm talking to. This is Chris Clark. He's been doing this for years. And what he may or may not know is I am a direct product of the Wisconsin model. Yes. Greg Meyer at GW was my coach and holy cow, that guy ran the Wisconsin system. And I will say for one year, I hated rowing. It is the hardest training you will do. It really grinds you down, but what it spits out is someone unstoppable. And I have done the ERG training. I still do it today. I still do those workouts, the Wisconsin type workouts at 37 years old. And it, it makes you a better human being. Now we're going to be talking about three really important topics. And, and I think that people tuning in are really going to be keen on some of these. Number one is how has training transition changed, if at all, over the 28, 30 years that he's been at Wisconsin. Second thing is the alumni group. Wisconsin, if you're in rowing or you go to any major regatta, you will see the big W. And no, 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 it's not Washington. It's Wisconsin. They have one of the best alumni groups in the entire world of rowing. And we want to know, like, how does that happen? What has he done over the years? And lastly, and the one that I'm most excited about is how the heck does a Wisconsin program, a Dartmouth program, a Cornell program, dethrone one of those big three that have won the IRA for the last 14 years? But before we get going on that one, we're going to have the same question I always ask, and that is, how old were you and where were you when you first started rowing? But Chris, thank you for being here on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, now, you're down in, you're, you're in Austin, Austin, right? right now. You're in yeah, Austin. We, we just finished practice, and we go again at two thirty, so I'm in my uh, mobile uh, minivan rental office. Well, it's a perfect office and and surprisingly very good quality sound. So, uh, Coach Chris, I want to know um, how old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? The um, I, it was at Orange Coast College. My dad was uh, a teacher there, and you know, being the really the only community college that has rowing and. My high school was about 20 miles from there, but he taught there. And he, the year before they had gone to Henley in the summer of God, whatever it was, uh, 77, they did well. And he kept saying, you got to try this out. You got to try this out. And I showed up and I can't remember when the first meeting was, but it was definitely in September. So I may have been 17 because my birthday is in September and I was young for my grade. And we all sat around and heard a little bit about rowing and watched symphony of motion i don't know if you ever seen that old movie yeah, of course i have yeah with with a skinny uh bill titus in there among other things and you know, uh, i heard i heard someone say to me and and uh so bill titus i've he's been a mentor of mine same as john they said that was the butt crack that launched a thousand uh yeah. <laughs> a thousand careers god and then even at the time i remember because of the haircuts of the harvard guys and harry parker how even at the time, it seemed old and timeless. I mean, here, this is, you know, 1977. I don't think it was more than five or six years old, but it, 
it seemed like you were watching the, you know, something from the 1920s. And uh, anyway, that that's when I started. I rode there two years, and then, um, and uh, I went to Stanford, and not even understanding the difference between transfer there, uh, between club rowing and varsity rowing, I I didn't know. Wow. And I got I got there and realized, you know, I I thought all right, I I knew that at the time the program wasn't very good, and that I could live without it. I thought that. And then when I was there and then eh, my buddies at Cal and I realized, uh, I don't know. So I transferred to Cal that, that does not happen very often. And which is ironic because my own son is rowing at Stanford. Now my oldest son. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, you jumped, yeah, I was absolutely, you jumped around a little bit. So orange coast got it. And then that's, that's a, a dominating program. We've, we've interviewed a number of athletes and coaches that have gone through that system and it's very successful. Absolutely. Then you went to Stanford and then Cal. So why did you stick with rowing? You know, what, what was it that enticed you to keep going? I don't know for a lot of, especially kids that rode and uh, were novices, you know, which was a lot more common at the time. I think it's, it's a rep you know, for whatever reason you didn't, fall into any other sport that you eat maybe because you weren't mature maybe because you weren't good enough who knows what for me i just felt it was a repasha and i was totally into it you know another chance at a high level sport and it's that's always been the problem with rowing is that there's tons of people that would be good at it but they're not exposed to it so oh, oh, which gosh, is still a, still a problem i mean it's not like it's any better no, we're, 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 we're working our butts off to try to fix that, but, um, yeah. all right. So this is interesting. So you, you row in college, uh, what, what are, like, what was your height and weight? Like what kind of, what are stats? Did I you was have? probably six, six and a half. I was about 195 pounds, which, you know, I probably lost an inch on the height and I, I gained about 70 pounds. I blame that's my wife's problem though. She likes to make a lot of food. <laughs> She claimed uh, she doesn't force me to eat it. But if you put it in front of me, what do you want? You, uh, you know? have to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Like six, six. I mean, you're a monster, dude. That, that's a, those are perfect stats for rowing. Monster. I don't know. It's funny. I have, you know, older pictures around my house and there's one in particular and it was mid eighties. God, I was skinny. I didn't feel like a monster. That's for <laughs> sure. All right. So then, so clearly rowing caught the bug for you because you've made it your career. So at what point did coaching become the focus? Like at what point were you like, all right, you know what, I'm going to make a career out of this one. I, I think, you know, when I went over and rode at Oxford and it's funny for how that that's an incredible episode, that entire thing and how little I think about it and how different like, really, that was me. And um, I always had the idea that my my uh, sister was a tenured professor. My mom was a teacher and a principal. My dad taught in college. So it's kind of part of what I was around. And I thought mo many of the coaches, not all of them, it's like the coaches at Orange Coast were amazing. And I had good coaches at Cal. But along the way, you met coaches and you think, is that it? It's all we got? Like, or, or they, I felt they weren't good at man management at all, especially in England. And uh, so I, I was always the type, not that I knew better. In other words, what this coach was saying was downright stupid. I just felt that hey, I think I could manage this situation better. And it was always just hanging out there. 
that idea. And um, years later, I was living in New York, and Dan Lyons, who uh, you know wrote at Navy and sure, Coast, yeah, he, he lives he lives here in, in Annapolis. Yeah, and he, uh, um, I had known him for a long time, and we had rode together. And he said, "Well, here's your chance. I'm going to go be freshman coach at Navy, and you want to come along and help and crack staff is what we call it here, which is anybody that's not you know like an official." coach at wisconsin but we even call our assistant coaches now that's a meyer phrase by the way the crack staff oh, yeah. and uh i cracked staff for dan for two years and this was the fall of 92 up through uh the spring of 94 and got to be a part of the navy program and got to know uh coach clothier there who by the way calls me and we uh, we talk about once a month even now and wow you know the longest tenured employee at the naval academy He's been there since 1975. And All right, so hold on. Give me, give me, help me out here with time because I'm, I'm a little lost. So 77, you're in college. You graduate right around what, 81, yeah, 82? I, national team stuff. Yeah, trying to make the Olympic team, national team. And, and then finally go to Oxford in the fall of 85. And by the time that whole, geez, uh, talking about emotionally draining scenario ends in 87, I'm done with rowing. You know, even though a lot of my friends are, I just get, uh, too much and made a lot of mistakes along the way you know like some of it is just maturity and also you're you've been down the road for a while you learn how to uh, uh, act and uh, be strategic and political and I was not so <laughs> so okay. it, it led to uh, certainly now it would be very different but that's the way it played out so wow, and then so I went 80, to I was in New York you, you, you just you hang up the oar you're like I can't do this anymore I love it all right so so 87 and 92, are I'm you in, just kind of floating? Like, what are you doing? What's your career? I'm in, I'm in New York. I did everything. I was a bike messenger, foot messenger, uh, the uh, bartender, and also ran a nightclub for over a year. That was owned by a little uh, consortium of guys, some Ivy League dudes, and one in particular who, uh, well, he was one of the owners who had rode at Yale, and I knew him. So, and then I did it. We sold the thing in the spring of uh, 92. So, and then I was like, all right, now what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, Chris, I, I, to, I would love to see a six foot six, 200 pound bike messenger. That would be hilarious. Like, it just yeah, doesn't it look was, right, you know? It's your, uh, I mean, there were serious pros in that line of business. Serious. I was, you know, I'm sure they laugh at the guys who show up for a couple of months. And, God, that was hard, man really hard and you know back then there's no cell phones so you constantly had to call in so i had to carry about eight to ten dollars of quarters in my pocket because after every job you were constantly calling in constantly it was so annoying you learn a lot though you get to know new york well that's for dang sure you know it's funny i i can hear a lot of greg meyer in the way you talk it's uh the stories, the storytelling is fantastic. Greg warned me that he says you're a great storyteller. So I, I, I love yeah. it. All right. I, I got a lot of stories. That's for I, sure. Well, Hey, you've been doing it a long time. Spring of 92. Okay. Get out of the nightclub business. And Dan Lyons calls you up, says, come on down. How long yeah, with the Naval Academy? How long are you down there? We were there. Um, I arrived in August of 92 and then up through the spring of 94. It's a long you know, time. To, where where were you there. living? Where were you living? I, at first, uh, Coach Clothier laughs about this, that I'm the only guy in the history of the United States Naval Academy that ever lived 
in his VW camper bus on the grounds of the academy in the parking lot. For And for whatever reason, the security there looked away. And I would just go in and use the showers. Over a month, I did that. And everybody knew it, but no one seemed to care. I think it's a little different now. And uh, a lot different. And uh, and then I eventually lived with Mike Hughes, you know, who was yeah, whose yeah. who's wife Terry, I think, isn't she coaching at Washington College? I she think. is, and and we yeah. had a we had a great interview with her a couple couple months ago. Um, so yeah, wow. So you're living with Mike Hughes, Navy. Are you getting paid anything, or is this like not for free? not 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 until the second year? And I finally got a few thousand bucks. That was it. That's why I'm not that. You know, back, this is classic, just in general. Well, I didn't get paid, so you should get paid. I don't, it, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people when they're trying to break into something if they're worried too much about pay. I mean, if you're into it, you're into it, and eventually it will lead to something. And that's, it good, did. that's good advice for, for young coaches. If they're, if they're truly obsessed yes. with the job, they should really focus on anything but the money because it does come i mean it, it, if you stick to it long enough it does come there's no question well, it's, it's like you get a chance to go where steve gladstone is or wisconsin or cal and you're able to help for nothing do it because those coaches you know once they learn you're competent they trust you they're going to give you opportunities and they know everybody so all right well let me when, when do you get to wisconsin at what point oh. does that become Dan had a typical Dan was always, he probably even now probably thinks he could be on the national team. I've never seen a guy with more enthusiasm about rowing and we got to, we got to go to Henley in, uh, you know, July of 94, right after Navy. And we, Ted is coaching us some of the time Nash and there's kind of a selection. I don't really have much to do with it, but I'm in it. And um, so I'm at, well before I went I knew that job was open the Wisconsin job freshman job and I flew out I remember I think it was there two nights in June of 1994 but I do remember at the time it was one of the days was 97 or 98 the other day was 100 and I think I can't I don't know if I can live somewhere that is that hot I had no idea how unusual that was and I had been there for a national team camp with Jabbo and the summer of 83. So I was somewhat familiar, but it was a big decision just because I didn't know anybody there. So you're going to move somewhere. And I knew, all right, this is a, you know, a lot of things uh, in retrospect seem like an important life decision later. You know, oh yeah, that was a big pivot point. No, I knew this was a pivot point. And uh, so I went and I showed up somewhere probably mid July, 1994. Wow. And, and, and I've heard a million stories about Jabo, but so he's the head coach, right? He's the, Correct. he's the program yeah. coach and you come in as a freshman. Um, oh, yeah. You are what in your 27 to 30? No, years old? I was, I was, no, 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 no. I, um, I was born in 59. So I'm 34, I think 34 in that. Yeah. All right. You're 34 years old. Uh, no family at this time, like no children yet. None, none of that stuff. Yet? No, nothing, nothing, nada. Nothing. I was, uh, yeah, free agency suited me. <laughs> you, you dive, you dive into a, so Wisconsin. How successful of, of a program was Wisconsin in those mid nineties? Well, it, it. Um, let me think. Where are we at that point? The, you know, they had, they won it all in nineteen ninety. 
And then that's the beginning, I would say, of the professionalization of the sport. God knows it was, you know, needed. And uh, you had international kids starting to show up just then. And, you know, everything was starting to change. And I would say Wisconsin was definitely uh, behind in that. And just about the idea of how much we needed to train and, but Jabo went along with it. He was for a guy in some ways set in his ways, but on the other hand, very adaptable and it was fun. And, uh, Jabo did something that, you know, only, and you don't notice it at the time, but you know, he was obviously overseeing it, but he let me do whatever I wanted. Wow. Essentially what I've done for the most part is a good thing with assistance but not always not everybody i was at least old enough and had been around enough that i didn't think i needed too much hand holding and uh and so it was good that i could just do what i wanted 34 years old yeah. head head freshman coach 1997 you said right or 94 no it was yeah uh, the first season 94 95 yeah. And when, when, and, and for the audience, you know, for them listening in, like, when, when do you become the head coach? When does the, the torch? Well, oddly, oddly, it was, uh, um, there was, a, I don't know how to phrase it. To, uh, there was some sort of full audit of the entire athletic department. And uh, this would be the fall of my third, this would be the third year of freshman coaching. So the fall of 96, right around ahead of the Charles time. And what it, um, what it came to was I got called into Joel Maturi, who was my, uh, you know, the associate AD that I dealt with. And he went on to be AD at a few different places, including the University of Minnesota. And um, he said, all right, you know, we've reshuffled things. This will be, this is Jabbo's last year and uh, you're the head coach. That was it. Oh. oh. And in some ways it was a freshman coach's dream, you know, cause there's some hubris with a freshman coach and you think, you know, I, I can do this and like, all right. Okay. And it was, uh, um, and, uh, that, which was odd. And, but the rest of the season just sort of carried out normal. I think Jabo was excited in some ways cause he had been, he started rowing. I think it was the fall of 1990 or uh, sorry, 1955. Oh. And, and his, and for whatever, his last season might've been 58, 59. And I think he even got married while he was in college and then became freshman coach 59, 60. So he had never had any time for himself. It had always been Wisconsin Rome. Wow. So in that way, I think he was, you know, maybe this isn't exactly how I planned it out, but this is cool. I can live my life now and do things I want to do. And it's as an aside after that, I barely saw Jabo. It not because he, he like, he just had things he wanted to do that <laughs> he, he never had a chance to do. And he ended up moving up to the UP, you know, which is the upper peninsula of yeah. Michigan, right? The north of Wisconsin. And, but he always said to me, look, he said, I didn't want to lurk around. I know I was a big presence. I've been there a long time. You got to do your thing. I'm around if you need any help, but. I don't want to be that, you know, the old coach looking over somebody's shoulder, which obviously I really appreciated. And uh, I'm not too long uh, for doing that myself. So I'll have to remember the same. So, you know, so, I, I, this is a, this is a good transition for my first question is uh, so 
I interviewed, we just finished interviewing uh, Gennaro and, and, uh, and Gladstone. And I had uh -huh. asked Gennaro, how are you going to train the team differently? Is, is there a difference? Like you're, 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 you're moving into a role who someone's already established and Jabo was established, sure. right? You're, you, yeah. but now you're, you're your own man, you're your own program. What big changes did you make uh, leading into the, the first year of maybe the first two years of head coaching? And then second part of that question is how much of that training has changed and the style over the last 30 years? Well, we were just talking about it just in the launch today that there's a constant push and pull and tug about, you know, you look at it technically, you know, we're out on the water and you got the Dave uh, out there with the University of Texas women and, you know, how polished they look just this morning, an hour and a half ago. And, but apart from him being excellent, obviously, in every way as a coach, he also has a place he can, knows he can rub. And he can designate days for technique, designate days for training. In Wisconsin, you constantly feel the pressure that you must row hard as much as you can. Just because the water is, you know, it, it's inconsistent resource and you never know. And you're afraid if you don't um, essentially stock up on the miles, anything can happen. And you could be out, you know, two weeks of terrible weather. So you're constantly worried about that that's one thing and um uh i even as a it was only the end of that first of that last year that i realized we had some other sites on our lake where we could row but we also had an odd system you know we didn't have lifts where there was launches the the boats were kept in the boathouse every day they had to be pushed out and put in the water and i thought god that's inefficient and jabbo told me well you can't put lifts on the this right here on the part of the legs the waves get too big which they do occasionally and i just took that I'm like okay and then i haven't been around wisconsin for a couple of years that i realized well there's other places that must have waves and i see lifts all over the place and now of course i've seen lifts you know you see them in florida and in uh california huge ones with big boats mm -hmm. i just thought all right we just need a bigger lift and we managed to get that after a few years which that one thing made it easier to row more often just because if if things were marginal then eh, do we want to row what a hassle we had to get the launches out so and we had other sites on the northwest side of the lake and we often use sites on the east side of the lake so answering a few things we just managed to row a lot more but also our budget rose we had more resources to buy launches, to transport people. And, but we're, I'm still, you still feel that pressure of, God, I know we have a tank, we got to do technique, but man, we got to get out and row all the time. So and that's your, never, that's your never volume changed. of training, it's, it's, it's well known for athletes somewhere like collegiate athletes from the nineties and two thousands. And even a little bit later is like the Wisconsin model is just grit and hard. It's tough. Like the erg workouts that you do, the volume that you do um, I've experienced it uh, myself. So like, was that a job thing or is that something that you've developed over the course of your career that was, as, a, as a coach? That was more my thing. And, you know, I, I I'm, I'm trying to think about the kind of training Jabba was doing and it was interesting. I, for how much now that everybody's kind of mixed together on 
on college teams. At the time, they were more separate. And I didn't really go to that many of Jabbo's practices. It's not like I only went to two, but I can't remember what training they were doing. But like when I was growing in college, I, I barely remember doing anything except short pieces. And it was Carl Adam, you know, uh, the Germans and Fartlex, as they called them. And it was all speed work. It was all speed. And I remember once rowing in the summer before I went off transfer to Cal, I was rowing in the summer out of Irvine Boathouse and we were in pairs. And I remember rowing with Greg Springer and uh, we're um, the workout. Mike Sullivan was coaching it. And he said, are we going to do three times 2K? At, you know, I don't know what pace might have been flat out. I've never done anything like that. Three times 2K? It might as well have been three times a marathon. And it, I realized I had never done anything like that. And I thought back about Orange Coast. No wonder we were always so fast for 500 meters. We could beat anybody. But to the IRA, we lead easily. But uh, there's more to the race than that. And uh, that really s stuck with me. And um, I think Chavo had a quite a bit of speed. And then Korsnowski came along, you know, in the fall of 83 and brought his training with him and that and and just studying more physiology and anaerobic threshold the concept of it i never even heard of it and all that sort of informed me on um what what i wanted to do or could do and it's interesting now to see what training has done and how i i'm in a unique spot in some ways you're part of the rowing world other in other ways you're out on an island all by yourself and mm -hmm. it's different than the coast and especially teams like the two coach uh, groups you've talked to who are all international and um and what they're doing compared to us because we're a development program we we have no option it's not like they don't want to develop at yale or cal that's ridiculous of course they want guys to get better but they're a lot closer to where their peak is than we are all right, That's so I, I, I totally understand that. Um, so 90, you know, 96, 97, you start as a head coach. We're going on a lot of years here. What's the biggest or maybe identify to me a couple of changes that have been done in your style and your coaching um, methods between that year and then today, if any? Um, I just, again, a all part of that, pressure and urgency to do as much as we can all the time <laughs> and it was just the concept that we were certainly one of the first um, that if you're going to bother to row you might as well go all in so not only are you expected to you have to be free for two-a-day workouts during the school year and once on saturday you have to you're expected to row in the summer you have to and it especially when well, this summer was interesting. I noticed, um, you know, we're always trying to uh, convince and set up a, an environment. Greg Meyer really started that for us, our summer program. And it, you know, you look at the U23 team, it's Princeton, it's Harvard. It's, yeah, they don't need a summer program. That is their summer program. <laughs> but when you're, when you're teaching kids that you have to, you have to give them something and ours is relatively uh it starts usually around 24th 25th of june we want them to have a little time and then targeting the club nationals first and then the canadian Henley for the guys that make that and it's really only six or seven weeks 
but it seems like a lot and it's enormously important. And you race a lot. The, the way the schedules have worked, maybe not as much anymore because of the, some of the changes in those regattas, but numerous guys of ours have won at the Canadian Henley gold medals after, at the very end of the regatta after they've already had 14 or 15 2Ks. That's how you look. I also thought a little bit, what do people say experience? Well, some of it is age and you cannot force that tree ring style growth. You can't force it. That's just life and development, but it's also, well, he's more experienced. Well, what's experience? It's generally mean, apart from just strokes, it means how much you've raced. So we fat, we forced feed fire hose these people with as many races as we possibly could. And that's, and that's, a, and that's an environment that you have in your practices too. I mean, I, I remember famously in, in my GW world is uh, we would do five by five minutes every day, twice a day until the eight was made. So Greg Meyer sat us in fours. We had four fours across. And every time you won, right, you stayed in that lineup and then you switched it and it was a, you constantly raced. So you were hardened as a person. You can like, I can handle anything for five minutes. And then a 2k is a minute and a half longer or whatever it is. Um, But like, is it, do you always race or try to race that experience in practice as well? Well, the, it was interesting you said that because just this morning, there was some, uh, they were lowering the lake level here, which is kind of unusual to do. And we were all worried possibly with that being a lot of current, too shallow, who knows? It turned out to be okay. But so I planned, all right, we'll just row as opposed to doing pieces. And we just rode 10 miles in four fours. And they were, wow, that's weird. Not racing. It's very <laughs> odd. And as, and again, that's why I brought up the concept of, you know, this limited resource and we have to use it to harden people. But this, that was a rarity, just rowing. And you, you see like Texas cruising, but they do it a lot because they can schedule things. You know, there's not, they know that in a, the next few months they can row pretty much whenever they want, as opposed to, geez, who knows when we're going to row again. So um, it, it, uh, I don't know, it, it's uh, that was a that kind of crazed attack is still part of what we do. I've changed personally, but it's still important. And we, uh, I was just talking to Bo Hoopman, the main assistant, and I remember in 2000, 2001 here, for whatever reason, we didn't do a lot of pieces. And that spring in particular, I made some bad personnel decisions about who should be where and you got to have people in the stern four that are willing to give it, give it. You have to, if you have anybody, they have to be in the stern four. I mean, if, especially if you only have a few and I had some guys stern four who are good rowers, but shouldn't have been there because they weren't willing to pay the price and give blood for it. And, but had I have raced more at Texas, that kind of stuff could be revealed or certainly can make people better. And we didn't. And I remember right after that. And so the next year, 2001, 2002, we uh, upped it. So I like to do here 50 plus pieces of at least three minutes or more. We'll do more than that. We race in pairs down here. They turn out to be because of uh, guys floating past the line, et cetera, my two and a half minutes. I, I throw those on after the 50, but I don't count them. And we just pile on pieces. Some days we go 10 times five minutes, like you said. And, and, uh, <laughs> 
and it it's you know uh yale has a kid for example i'm just making some kid up and he's already 22 years old he comes in as a freshman and he's already rode in the world championships he's been going eight or nine years you know we i can't keep up with that so but i can harden a guy who may have some natural propensity to be a decent rower and they you had least, that that environment you had that in the early 2000s uh bo hoopman one of them right i mean yeah you had one of the fastest freshman eight like ever um when greg meyer was coaching there with you yeah uh, you had the 08 uh group but let me transition away um to my second question is the alumni so um you have i believe a lot of what you've done is cultivate this alumni group that's I think that it's so important, the success of a collegiate program, you see a lot of programs leaving, right? GW is no longer a varsity program. Stanford had its thing back and forth, FIT. How important is the alumni base and how have you managed to communicate with them over the years and build what Wisconsin is today? Oh, it, obviously it's vital. We're lucky because we have a uh, larger team. So you have a lot of alums. Um, I think we've come real close to getting axed over the years since I, I know certainly before I got here and, uh, that has always been a fear, you know, and it kind of, I feel for coaches that have been head coaches when that's happened, because I can only imagine the, uh, you know, the sadness and also you feel so ineffective and, mm not being able to, and a lot of times it seems to be you know, secretive, you know, thieves, night of long knives type, you know, excision, like Jesus. And, um, but one interesting thing about our alums, and this sounds odd, is that everything's positive and everything's negative. You can always look at both sides. We are the most well-supported men's team by far in college rowing. Every single penny that we get, none of it is raised because we're the richest athletic department in men's rowing, in men's rowing. Wow. And they, you know, with that, the TV contracts and all the other ones, like Cal has, is way in debt and has problems. We're in a very different situation. And, but because of that, we don't have a culture as much you know, I speak to Greg Hughes a lot because he's part of our coaches association. And I just know a lot about how the alumni group, especially in the Ivies, they're so robust and so important. And there's negatives, I suppose, sometimes as a coach for sure, if your alums are too involved. But on the other hand, they have uh, influence and juice in their own athletic department because they're heavy hitters. Whereas we don't really have that. And because they've never been asked to support us, that's not true, right? When I first got here, they were supporting us, but not at an enormous level. And I felt ineffective, really. And it's kept, thank God for people like Joe and the younger guys, because one, they're good organizers, and two, they get it what modern rowing is like. So it is, and I just also, I'm, I, I don't want to make excuses, but Wisconsin is not in a place, for example, like where Cal is or even Princeton or a Philadelphia school 
where it's easy. A lot of the lums are there and they can come row all the time. I mean, another negative is no one's allowed to row out of our boathouse but us. No one. Wow. But, so that would help, you know, if we could do that. You know, might have alums that could row. So all these things make it a little more complicated than it looks. And while on one hand, I like the uh, to not have to worry about. But then on the other hand, when COVID comes around, if all your money is coming from athletics, it's like, whoa, you know, when uh, so meanwhile, we've been I've talked about endowments since I got here. And finally, we're moving on those and have quite a few million already. And without any campaign, it's just sort of naturally grown in the last few years. But we're looking for 25 million up. Uh, God, when is the by? I think it was 2030. So we have a lot of pledges, but pledges aren't exactly the same as money in the bank, but we're over halfway. So, holy cow. Well, so how much of your time do you dedicate talking to the alumni? Again, I, I started this by saying you see the W everywhere. It, I, you, you turn the corner, you bump into, you bump into someone who rode for Wisconsin back in the 1990s or the 1980s or the, what, so how much of a time you're coaching do you spend talking to them or communicating well, with them? It, interesting on a trip like this, it's often younger alumni come down. We have six or seven different guys here that some are here for one is a, a Navy JAG or no a Marine Corps JAG who graduated a few years ago. And he's here. He took two weeks off to help us. Whoa. And, and he graduated, what, in 16. And then we have another guy who's a literal rocket scientist, Lockheed Martin. And he graduated a few years ago. And he's here for two weeks. And we have other guys that, so the younger ones I see a lot and talk mm. to a lot. The older ones, um, it, I realize, though, if if I want more engagement, you have to ask or, and, like, let them know. I always talk about Texas. It's the perfect place to come watch this row. You know, in a normal place like Princeton or, say, Philadelphia or Yale or Cal, you can say, all right, we're going to practice this week on these times. In Wisconsin, who knows? You know, we hope we will. But what about the weather? So it's not easy always to well, come down and watch this rope, maybe. But here is the perfect opportunity for it. And um, when I send out little newsletters organized by Joe McMullen, by the way, I always in, try to invite them here for this. And so far, more of the older alums have not availed themselves to it. But I understand the personal connection is super important. I I'm just that. not great at marketing promotion. That's not my thing. I understand it and I see how valuable it is. I just am not good at it. So I, I figure you always need help. Like our Instagram is run by Ross uh, Gunlock, who's a grad assistant and he's the least likely guy that you would think is super good at Instagram. And just that alone has been helpful. You know, athletics will help, but not to the level it would for basketball or football. No, I, I get mean, that. I get I'm sure that. that every program. Well, so, so Joe McMullen's a pretty intense guy. Uh, and I know he's going to listen to this and shout out to Joe. I, I love the guy so much. He was the last group other than three teams in the country to have won the IRA. He was uh -huh. bow seat of your eight. And, uh, you know, it was, it was probably the single most important moment of his life, of his athletic career. And for 14, 15 years, IRA has been dominated by four coaches and three teams. My, I want to know, what does it take for 
these middle level, I say middle level, but like that no, no, third or fourth position to 10th position, how, what does it take to dethrone one of these big three schools? Uh, yeah, even though we're, we're in that level, we're not exactly the same as them, but the uh, um, watching a lot of youth sports, because I have three sons, my youngest is 14, and you, I've realized that youth sports and the importance of sports has also grown worldwide. It isn't, I mean, they may not be playing, you know, American football when they're eight years old in Germany, but they're doing other sports. And uh, I, rowing has become more professional too. There's no question. Um, and Olympic sports have a much higher profile in other places, but the U S and the fact is, if you want a tall athletic rower, you're more likely to get them from a foreign country because in this country, you're taken by other sports. You know, you're not exposed to it. It's not, if they, there's maybe some hierarchy of alternative sports beyond basketball or football, but you know, we're, I think mainly because of access, we're so far down on it. And, you know, rowing, it's just amazing to me that it was such a big deal a hundred years ago and somehow it's been rendered uh, almost irrelevant in the sports world um, for the outside world, which by the way is another subject, but that's where I thank God for women's rowing mm. because women's rowing has floated the rest of our boats as far as attention and other things. You know, a lot of, I think some of the real old crusty olds don't feel that way. I do. Yeah. And there's no question and l allowed us to, to, um, assess where we are and what we can do to get out of it. But as far as winning, you know, you can see how well Syracuse is doing. You got to have money and you got to get international guys if you want to win, period. And Cal has spent, and now Cal's rolling. There's no question. I think they have all their guys back. They get a few guys from the transfer portal, but that's what they do in other sports. That's what I love about it. I have a son that plays division one football. So I know exactly what happens at the highest level of college athletics. And this is us just expressing it on a smaller scale. And I think I'm hoping as world rowing increases, there'll be more of those athletes to go around as opposed to them only concentrating on those few teams like you've talked about. And um, for us, we're still stuck in this walk-on model. And I remember talking to Greg Hughes more than once about it. And you know, his old alums, even now, how come you don't get all the walk-ons? And <laughs> because they don't exist in most colleges anymore because every single kid I'm looking right in front of me is a brick wall. And each one of those bricks represents a particular unit or area of focus for admissions. The regular guy who was the college QB there, they don't exist hardly because that kid has played youth sports since he's five or six years old. And parents have put in, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, he will go somewhere to do that sport or they have no interest in doing that sport. They're utterly burnt on it because being around high school sports, I cannot tell you how much time they waste on high school sports. We're trying to convince a novice. And I say, yeah, you don't want, you think rowing is going to be worse in college than whatever you did in high school. That's because in high school, let's say you lifted before school. You're up at 6 a.m. You go lifted. You went to school all day long. And then you had practice after, and you might get home at 7 p.m. 
You have 13 hour days. I don't care how hard college sports are. You will not have a 13. But so in some ways, high school sports are wrecking in general, the concept of walk on, but also Wisconsin is becoming Princeton like, or I, I think uh, Cal, uh, Washington, Stanford, certainly they've already gone this way that the average kid, they don't get in there. There's so many slots that are trying to be filled. So all of this is co as complicated for, for us. So unless we had just an extraordinary, uh, the chance of us winning anytime soon is at the highest level is you'd have to be extraordinarily fortunate. And that doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing because we're the only, there's two teams that, out of 1300 uh, power five sports. And that's an estimate 1300, about 20 teams are 20 sports for the 65 teams in the power 65. It's about that. And there's only two that aren't uh, giving scholarships right now. And that's Austin men, Oregon state men. Wow. And that, that is so uh, uh, remedial that it, we were talking about how we recruit. If you've wrote in high school, you have to recruit us. It's opposite. You have to convince us you're worth it. Not as a human being, but just as a possible college rower where I know Scott, you know, we talk a lot friends and, and, you know, they're always after people, of course. And they're off. Some of those kids are interested in Washington. It could be Harvard. Who knows where? But, you know, they do have to recruit. We recruit novices like that. We look for guys who could get in here academically and maybe great at rowing. So that kind of effort. But to answer your question, it's not easy. And Syracuse has availed themselves, has significantly more scholarships than they have. And Dave has done a masterful job. So they've got a shot. I mean, they won the out of the Charles plus the COVID with guys getting fifth years. So, but having said it, it's a significantly difficult uphill battle. And I would say in the Ivies and in terms of Dartmouth, there's, I, I don't, I don't, I can't speak too much about how the international kids think about the Ivies. I just know Americans and Matt Smith, who's second at Princeton, you know, he wrote for us and was captain. So I'll talk to him about this, but he, even at Princeton, you know, they're, they don't get everybody they want. Those kids may think they want to go to Harvard or Yale. And then at Dartmouth, it's probably even harder. So I don't know. I think it has to just be a confluence for, and Dartmouth, you can't get a better coach. So he's, Wyatt is exceptional. And do you think it's important that, let me, okay, hold on. Anyway, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it matters if somebody else wins. I think that maybe a solution that helps the sports is take the bowl game world of football, or maybe take uh -huh. the collegiate uh, NCAA rowing. Like maybe there's divisions that we break out and just say, Hey, those three crews that win every year for the last 14 years, you guys go do you. Do you think that the men's college rowing should get into more of a bowl system or more of a division system that you have other winners in other categories? I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, we've talked when John Pajetic was at Northeastern, and I'm not sure if Dave Reich, I can't remember if he was in on these, but definitely Tom at, um, at BU, just at some point, it's hard to believe we'll still have the Eastern sprints at, at just yeah. because I know how important the Ivy championship is for Ivy league teams. And ironically, the women's Ivy championship now is concurrent with, our Eastern sprints, same day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it wouldn't surprise me at some point if we have a separate Eastern sprints 
for the non-IVs. That alone would be cool because you sure. would have, a, not that you can't win it if having won it before ourselves, but it would be cool to have another set of winners. But that's interesting you say that. And it, it it's just, there's still not enough talent and it's so concentrated in these few schools. And um, that's not a complaint. That's just a reflection on where it is. And uh, um, I, yeah, you, I don't see it changing a lot unless, but I, I'm open to anything. That's, there's so many things that were so backward to me about rowing. And one is I realized this is years ago that men's rowing, that we're the only ones that didn't have a coaches association. I mean, in high school, they have national coaches. So in high school, I thought, what is with us? And then right during COVID, John Pajetic and I talked about it a lot. And we got it going. And I think the first meeting was in, it's really robust now. The first meeting was in July of 20. And Gary Caldwell helped a lot too, a lot to get it going. And he still, you know, advises on it. But that, that right there made us feel normal. <laughs> like I've always joked, the boy in the bubble, you know, that, a movie from like the 70s you know the poor kid is stuck inside that little bubble so and I, I don't so let's so so here's yesterday i had my interview with scott franzen and he had said to me uh and and luckily i could say this he said the pursuit of winning is one of the single most uh focused things that we do in on our team because if you, it's not about just show up and do well it's like if you win if you try to win and you have that focus it builds a culture that rises above all right and it changes right. who you are now he's extremely competitive so i knew going into the ira that i had no flipping chance of winning and that's like you you know that you know that as an athlete and and does that does that matter as an athlete or, or coaching a crew that you're going into a championship that is deemed the number one ira is the championship sure. but you know you're going to lose Right. So how does that change your coaching style? Does it even affect it at all? Or do you just say, Hey, we're going to go for it. We're going to win. Let's try it. It, it is interesting. It, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it, it's not easy. That's for sure. When you know that, um, you don't have overwhelming force, but, um, I, I get it. But having said all that, you know, Scott's coached a long time. They won once. So he knows sure. what it's like to, to not win. And, um, and you look at Washington who dominated for years and they seem a long way from winning now. And, um, That's right. so, so everybody, uh, absolutely. I agree with what he says and it, but that's also a good question too, what you're talking about. And on one hand, there's just a willful ignorance. You just ignore it <laughs> and want want because you don't want to be defeatist, but you also don't want to be a Pollyannish and we're going to win guys, you know, <laughs> just do what I say. And um, what's exciting about us for us always, is just that I've seen some shocking uh, transformations in, and, and the magic of, since you're uh, many of them are just learning in those few years and how good they can get. That's the, that's the satisfaction and how good we can get. But as far as, being you know up on the podium and winning yeah that's few and far in between no question so, so. uh so last thing uh here chris you're you're um i i talked to bb she was in our interview uh, a couple months ago it was a fantastic interview 
Um, you guys have been together a long time. The two of you have been coaching Wisconsin a very long time. You have children in college. Like, what's uh, a couple couple weeks ago? Gladstone's like, hey, I'm hanging it up. What's what do the next couple of years look like for you? You just what are you thinking? I, people ask me that all the time. It's like just ask me. It isn't just the day; it's the hour, depending <laughs> on what's happening. Like, oh god, that sucks. All right, what? And I'm, I'm joking a bit, but uh, um, there's still some things I want to accomplish here, not just at, athletically, but making sure the next um, that we're on a even better footing for the next round of coach that's here. Yeah, we've only had three different head coaches since 1946. Oh, so my been, God. Has been a long time. <laughs> oh. Are you hopeful for the uh, future coaches that are coming into the world of rowing? Yeah, it, it certainly seems to be a lot of good ones. And I, that's, again, where I love that women's rowing is, you know, has more teams and it's just provided more opportunities for coaches too. you know, male or female. There, there, there you have it. I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful. We all are too. Chris, I can't thank you enough for this. I had a wonderful time talking to you. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, and I look forward to seeing how well your crew does in the next couple of months here. We got IRAs is five months away. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, what I can't believe is I'm, I, uh, I think I'm a little on the spectrum of just blurting out inappropriate things occasionally. And, uh, I managed to get through this and I don't think I said anything too crazy. Oh, it's perfect. I don't think we're going to have to edit much of anything. I think you did a great okay. job. Uh, People tuning in, this is uh, this was episode four, season four, focusing on the IRA. And uh, we have more of these coaches coming up all season long. So I hope you enjoyed it. And Chris, again, thanks a lot. And uh, good luck this year. I uh, appreciate it all. And uh, thanks for having me on. It was great. That was quite a collection of coaches. Thanks. I appreciate it.